There's, there's going to have to be a much more purified emphasis on mission that the Christians, the followers of Jesus in the future will necessarily be missional as well. And Pope Francis uses that term missionary disciple, which I love. It's, 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 it's just kind of, it's saying like, you can't be a disciple unless you're also a missionary. Like there's no such thing as a private disciple. Well, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Leish, and I'm here with Jay, and we are so excited that you decided to join us for today's interview with Father Simon Lobo. Leish, I feel like, how do I even explain this feeling? There are a few people, there are lots of people, lots of pastors and leaders, in this case, a parish priest in Canada, who I feel like all of my church friends across Canada need to know about, but they don't necessarily know about him or her yet. And we've been able to do that a few times. And today, like Father Simon is such an incredible leader. He's becoming a good friend. He inspires me deeply. This conversation left me very impacted. And I'm just so excited for people to meet him. And I think it just, it just consistently gives me almost like hope to see that God's placed all these unique people across Canada leading in their giftings, and in different parts of the church. And I think it's a real gift for us to have a Catholic brother joining us today. I know a lot of our listeners are maybe on the Protestant side of the church leaders spectrum. And I just find whenever I am around people from a different tradition than me within the Christian faith, it is so sharpening, so illuminating. And it just makes me feel more inspired by how big God's church is and how profound what we share in common is. So this was a great conversation. We covered a lot of grounds. We talked about his story, uh, his, about the transition he was part of in ministry. He's at St. Benedict Parish, which is a very important parish uh, out in Halifax, and they have influence all around the world. We've had uh, his, pr- his predecessor on the podcast before, Father James Mallon. So we talked a lot about stepping into that role, their work with Alpha and evangelism and discipleship, and even just his own personal rule of life that he lived by that helps inform and shape and fuel the ministry that he does. It was such a great conversation. Wow. Well, I can't wait to take a listen. So let's just jump right into your conversation with Father Simon Lobo. Well, hey, Father Simon, it is so good to be with you across the country. Thanks for making time to hang out today. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, here we are, coast to coast, right? You're in Vancouver, I'm in Halifax. It's perfect. It's perfect. We should do like pictures in the oceans Touching That's the right. ocean, we can send it. Maybe you split screen; it would be a really powerful picture. You know, I had this. I had this like thought in prayer today to ask you: Do you like sushi? Oh man, I wish I. I wish my aunt. I'm like the worst Vancouver person in the world. Oh no! Because oh, no. if there was ever a city for sushi, it's Vancouver. My kids, like my three year old, loves sushi. My wife loves sushi, and I suffer through it. But it's oh, because man. I have issues, and I'm working through them. <laughs> Okay. Why did you ask that? We'll pray for you. I was like, I was like, man, if he doesn't like sushi, maybe we shouldn't do this podcast. Maybe that that'd be like the fleece that we'll just oh, put man. up before the Lord. And okay. like, what's what's tough is so I love visiting the East Coast. You're in Halifax. I want to hear all about Saint Benedict, the parish that you're bringing leadership to and serving at. Um, but Halifax, like, whenever I'm on the East Coast, they always offer me lobster, and it's mm. like, and I. I, I break people's hearts when I explain that I don't like seafood. And it's like, it's the hardest thing. I always like in the back of my head, whenever I go East Coast, I'm like, they're going to offer me lobster. And Jay, you need to just eat it with joy on your it. face. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. That's the thing. That's what they don't tell you, right? Like it's, 
I've gotten better over the years, but I remember being at like these lobster dinners and and these old people sitting next to me and they're like, hey, let me help you with that. And they just like get right in there with their <laughs> fingers and all this and they're getting out the lobster meat. And I'm like, whoa, this is intense. This is like you can see years and years of oh, yeah. lobster eating skill just coming out. It comes out. It's so good. Hey, tell me, how did you find yourself at St. Benedict in Halifax? I, it's a great question. So the previous pastor, Father James Mallon, he uh, was at this point, it's the spring of 2015. So the church opened in 2010 and Father James had been pastoring there with various priests helping him out over the years. And, um, and it was looking like the guy he was with at the time was about to leave and the bishop mm-hmm. said to him, listen, uh, we're stretched so thin, I don't have anybody else to send your way. And so uh, he was, Father James was kind of into a bit of a tailspin because he's like, I don't know what yeah. I'm going to do. This is such a huge parish. Um, just to give you a sense of the scope, on a typical weekend, we'd see in the ballpark of 1,500 through the doors. That's pre-pandemic, of course. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but you know, for the East Coast, that's that's large. Uh, it may not be for, for other parts of the country, but but it certainly is for us. And so uh, Father James was just like, man, if I have to lead this parish by myself, there's no mm-hmm. way. And mm-hmm. just that very day, a friend of his from seminary, who happens to be the religious, at the time, the religious superior of my community called the Companions of the Cross, his name uh, is Father Scott McKaig, now Bishop Scott. Um, mm-hmm. So he calls up Where does buddy, he serve as bishop right now? Yeah, he's actually the bishop of the military ordinariate of Canada. So all the military wow. chaplains and stuff across the country. Uh, so there's like pictures of him in fighter jets and stuff and in army fatigues. It's like pretty cool. He's, he's got an interesting bishop gig. So anyways, so Father Scott calls up his buddy James like out of the blue. And he's like, hey, man, how's it going? And he's like, actually, uh, not that good. I just got this bad mm. news and I don't know what I'm going to do. And and Bishop Scott's like, well, that's interesting because I have this young priest and I don't know what the heck to do with him either. So do you want him? And and next thing you know, there's a bit of horse trading. It might have, they, I think they got together and there might have been a beverage involved. But next thing you know, there's conversations happening. And I got sent to St. Benedict uh, in July of 2015 to be the wow. associate pastor with Father James Mallon. And and mm-hmm. the, 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 the plan was this. I was going to go and be like his underling apprentice, like learn whatever I can over two or three years and then go on and try and apply some of the principles uh, Mm. in another place. And this was short, maybe a year after Father James is kind of world famous. He wrote this book called Divine Renovation, which, which has sold like wildfire. And so it's amazing for those that don't have context. um, St. Benedict is a really unique parish in the global landscape because as Father James led the parish, in his words, from maintenance to mission and engaged some leadership practices and a real vision for the church and began to mobilize people, um, engage the community, he began to be able to teach and support and train other parishes and priests around the world about what it looks like to do that. So he wrote a book called Divine Renovation, turned into a ministry. And uh, I remember, because Father James worked so closely with Alpha, and I was on staff with Alpha at the time when Shayla told me, or it was Ron Huntley, one of our friends in common, said, uh, oh, there's this new guy. You got to meet him. This would have been 2015 or 2016. Father Simon, he's amazing. You got to meet him. And so there, I, there's a lot of anticipation for me. And, and when did we first, I think 
when, what year was it that we first connected? It would have been in London. I, I want to say it was September of 2015. Uh, there was yeah. like an Experience Alpha thing, and you might have hmm. been there as well. And it was actually, it's interesting to know this now because I'm pretty certain we, we were chatting in a pub over fish and chips. And now I, now I find mm-hmm. out you don't even like seafood. And so I would have had a burger. I think everyone else had fish and chips and I had a burger. That would make sense. So, but we're, we're probably having a find and you're, you're eating your burger. And I remember like, it was just an amazing conversation, Jason. And here's this young guy I'm meeting and I'm thinking, who is this guy? Well, I mean, I knew you were famous from the alpha youth film series, but, but, but you said this one thing that really struck me. You said in a hundred years from now, when they write the history books about alpha, uh, yeah, they're going to talk about it being a tool for evangelism. But I think even more than that, they're going to say, this was a tool for ecumenism. Hmm. And that just pierced me when you said that. And that whole trip for me was a powerful experience. There's this one moment, there's like six Catholics amidst about 50 uh, leaders of other Christian churches, many many from the United States and, and a few from Canada. And and there was this one moment where all of the non-Catholics prayed over the six of us, and and I just felt so much healing and unity wow. in the body of Christ. And uh, so, so, anyways, I, I just connect all of that together with the first time that that I think wow. we got to meet. Yeah, that's um, those moments, and I've been in several experiences like that, but I remember that one in particular, um, coming around you guys praying for you, and then I think having you guys pray for all the protestant pastors in the room and something happens spiritually when that humility happens and and there are like personal um walls that are torn down but i think even in our history there's something just powerful about that and um i think i always cherish my time with you and um some other catholic friends who are leading churches because what i consistently am reminded that what we share in common is so much bigger than what might have or has in the past divided us. And listen, the things that caused <laughs> fish in the church weren't small things. Like, I don't want to downplay it. Like, yeah. like these, these are big conversations, you know, and important, but it's like, man, my experience with you as a friend, and I think that's the big thing, is before it's like a move towards ecumenicism or it's a move towards like unity in quotes, it's really about friendship. It's like, I just really enjoy you and see you as a brother in Christ and uh, see you as a co-laborer and, and and the dream for the church in Canada. I just realized I've been talking a long time. It's not my job. It's I'm supposed to be interviewing. So, but I'll say this and then you do all the rest of the talking <laughs> is um is that if 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 we're going to see God move and see the harvest that we long for in our country, it's not going to look like one church, one tribe, one denomination, one stream of the church, one religious order. It's going to be a broad uh dynamic diverse group all experiencing growth and transformation and linking arms and speaking well of one another. And so the dream isn't that like one stream would thrive, but that the whole church would be revitalized. And for that to happen, I think we need to learn from and draw from and learn from one another. And that's why I'm excited to have you here today, man. Well, thanks so much, Jason. It's The feeling is so mutual. And again, I consider you a brother as well. And uh, it's just always a blessing, a privilege. And, and if nothing else, uh, I hope that we have a lot of fun today, and I know we will. Oh, it's, it's so be a good. Great conversation. It's so good. Tell us a bit more about St. Benedict. You know, tell us about Halifax, the city. Tell us about the work you're doing, even a bit of the history. Um, 
and, and what kind of uh, unique opportunities and challenges you're, you're facing. I know that we're in such a unique time with COVID, but even take a step beyond that, like even more broadly than this one moment. Just tell us a bit about the parish and some of the movements that they've experienced over the last number of years. Sure. So I'm not an expert on the city, but I would say uh, it's, it's typical Canada in that uh, we're, we're kind of far out on the East Coast. And, and I think as most would say, culturally, you look over to Europe and then culturally, you look south to the United States. We're in Canada. We're somewhere in between, and I think we're we're farther uh, secularized than other places like Toronto, let's say. And so uh, we're feeling it. And certainly mm. in the Catholic context, are we have dioceses, and so several churches, parishes uh, connected together throughout most of Nova Scotia in one diocese, and uh, we're we're stretched pretty thin. Mm. Like, How many like parishes just, would be in the diocese? Yeah, so we just went through a restructure. There were at one point like 90, 90 unique buildings and mm-hmm. about 60 parishes. So sometimes there was like multiple buildings connected together. And just in the last couple of years, it's been reduced down to 20 parishes. Wow. And so there's some, uh, doesn't mean all the buildings have closed, but there's some situations where a priest maybe with a little team has like eight different church buildings and and each of those communities they have a history and a, uh just so much heritage connected uh with that place and i think this is true for all faiths but i think it really we feel it in in our catholic context that's what i can speak from is the sense of incarnational faith like mm. our faith is rooted in the things that you can touch and feel and see. And yeah. my great-grandfather helped build this place. His blood, sweat, and tears went into that. And and so all that connection, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know what? Um, generations have gone by where, for whatever reason, um, because of shifts in, econ- in the economy, uh, actually earlier today I just happened to, to celebrate a sacrament called the anointing of the sick with a man who's dying. Uh, and he told me he was a fisherman. He used to fish cod and halibut and stuff like that. And just like a super interesting guy originally from Newfoundland. And I was mm. like, man, like so much of that livelihood has changed. And so people have gone yeah. to the cities, people have left the, the province uh, for work. So that's, that's been a shift. And, and I'm somewhat isolated from that because I'm in, in the city of, I'm in the Halifax region in, in the suburbs, I guess. And Clayton Park, where St. Benedict is located, is is densely populated. And it would be one of the growing areas. And my particular yeah. parish, St. Benedict, is it's the biggest Catholic church uh, on the East Coast. And one of the bigger Christian churches of any denomination, maybe east of Montreal. Yeah, uh, for, totally. for all I know. So it's... It's, uh, we're kind of like a big fish in a small pond, I would say, in, in some ways. Totally. It's so, so unique. And, and for context, I know that you know this, but for people listening, this isn't just unique what you describe to the Catholic Church. I mean, mm-hmm. in here in Vancouver, I know the Presbyterians right now are working with multiple buildings trying to, to consolidate the United Church, similar things happening. Uh, I don't know as much about the Catholic diocese here, how they're doing it, but I'd imagine it's very similar and more centralized support trying to go out to be able to do more with less. And really, this is this being driven by a few things, but ultimately it's around decreased attendance and engagement, yeah. but then also like trying to maximize the impact of the ministerial team and the ministers 
and the clergy. And um, so it's a really fascinating thing. And on one hand, it's a conversation that also bleeds into the idea of mergers and partnerships. I just read a stat recently that 80, I think it's around, I know it's one third of multi sites in the States came from mergers. So like, you know, you wow. think about Life Church or whatever it might be. I don't know if Life Church in particular has done mergers, yeah. but these multi-site churches, and there's tons of multi-site churches, one third of m- sites in all of the U.S. came from mergers. And so this conversation around mergers is deeply important, and it takes different expressions when it's happening across denominations or within a specific um, yeah, part of the church. And so it's, I'm super interested in it. Can I just ask one question? And I just, uh, I don't want to miss this. Tell me about the sacrament of anointing the sick. Because when you said that, initially what I imagined was as a pastor, if somebody in our congregation is sick, you know, either someone from our team or we'll go and we'll pray for them. And, uh, and, and I wouldn't use the language of, of the sacrament of anointing the sick, but I want to hear a bit about it because, and then I'll come back to our conversation around mergers and stuff like that. <laughs> um. Yeah, so it. I was just trying to look up the verse here. It's James chapter 5, uh, starting at, uh, let's say, verse 14. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders, or I think the original Greek is presbyters, which is another, yeah. could be translated into priests. Call for the, the priests of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven, and etc. So, so um, all we have seven sacraments in the Catholic Church, and they're all rooted in Christ, and they're they're all you can find them in different places in the New Testament. But um, essentially, it's this beautiful gift of some of the most intimate moments of my priesthood have been to go by the bedside of somebody mm. who's um, dying, and and to be there just and it and it's crazy like i'm just a normal guy like i don't have yeah. anything special i'm i'm i don't walk on water uh the one i follow does but but Come i on. just i just show up and and here i have these these oils that have been blessed by the bishop once a year the bishop will bless these different oils and so one is called the oil of the sick and there's there's a few prayers uh where i i just i First, I pray in silence, like I lay hands on the person's head and pray silently, and then I anoint their forehead with this oil and the palms of their hands with mm. the with the oil, and and um, it's just amazing to be there, and the family's there, and they're all they're all wrestling with like they know, especially when they know that their loved one, this person, had cancer, and uh, they've tried different treatments and yeah. to to no effect, and so the doctor said, you know you don't have long to live. And so here I am praying with this person and just knowing that um, it's such a significant moment. And I'll mm. often, if I can, depending on, sometimes you walk into a room and, and there's no faith. Like there, there's, they're, they're just kind of like, like I might as well be the grim reaper walking in. And, and I've, I've literally walked into rooms and people, the howling, the, the, the grieving starts to increase in, in volume. But uh, this was today was really beautiful, really peaceful. Mm. Uh, I even offered to celebrate the sacrament of confession with the individual beforehand, and just it, all about getting their soul right mm. with God. Did he before, receive that before that invitation? He did. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. So it just it's uh, I I have these privileged moments. Like I spend so much time 
I mean, okay, I got to tell this one other quick story. So Please. in the last couple of weeks, I got called into the hospital and, you know, with all the COVID regulations, it's like, oh man, am I, am I even allowed to go in? Or am I going to mm-hmm. get gowned up in a level four biohazmat suit or something? Like, what's this going to look like? Um, but basically these people who used to be my parishioners, they'd moved to Fredericton, but they called because they just had twins and uh, they were in the NICU uh, mm-hmm. They were they were born. I actually went to visit the parents before the the, the children were born, um, but I think they were born at 23 weeks, and uh, they called to say, "Could we have a ba- baptism for these twins?" Mm. And so I got to go in, and I have a really good friend who's a physician. Uh, she's just amazing and and such an inspiration to me in her own vocation. And and then another uh, a guy, a seminarian, who's interning with me right now. So he's learning the ropes and. He's 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 got a really weird experience this year with with uh, the pandemic. So the church right. is like nothing else. And I'm I'm like, hey buddy, you're like learning about what the church of the future. So <laughs> so soak it in. And so here the three of us go in to this NICU, and there are these two tiny ICU beds, and mm-hmm. each of these uh, children are like, I think 350 grams. So if Whoa. you think of a pound of butter, like. 454 wow. grams, I think. So smaller than that. And just these tiny little fingers. It was almost like, and I, I mean no disrespect, but you know those movies with aliens and they're these little mm-hmm. like fingers mm-hmm. and their, their skin was like translucent almost. Wow. And here I am like going in and these these parents, they have so much faith, like they're yearning for mm. their children to to experience faith in some way and, and they're so tiny and and wow. I got to baptize them with this tiny little cup of distilled water or whatever and, and every single time like I put my hand there's like this portal where you can put your hands in into wow. the, the bay and every time I'm like hand sanitizing like yeah anyway anyways it was just I've that what was just in the last few weeks and that was the, the experience of you know in about eleven years of priesthood that was really stands out as a sacred, sacred mm. moment. Um, I feel and, that. Yeah. I ahead. think it's so interesting to me because I think I've been wrestling with this question, like, what does it mean to be a pastor? Mm. And I'm curious what people think it means. Mm. And I'm trying to wrestle with that because I've been in church work for a long mm. time in a local church, but also doing stuff with multiple churches, like through Alpha or ministries like the Church Leaders Network. But now I'm I'm a lead pastor in my local church, and I'm finding myself. I know that there's a part of it that's leadership, but a big part of our work is being with people, caring for the sick, mm-hmm. praying for people, coming alongside people, not with answers, but with presence, and you know the stuff, the incarnation you're talking about, like being in the room, you yeah. know, and like, and then the and COVID adds a huge dynamic to it, and maybe that's why I'm thinking about it. But I think sometimes, for younger pastors, there's a vision of being a pastor or a priest that's like preaching sermons Mm. speaking at conferences Mm. and that might be part of it but there's something about what you're describing that is so clearly part of your role as the priest is to come alongside new babies dying people Mm. any thoughts or reflections on just the like in the day-to-day lives of people-ness of pastoring Mm. Well, I'm so surprised that this is the turn our conversation has taken, and it's awesome. Mm. I 
some of the stories I've described are are recent, but they're not like my nine to five. It's not like every single day I'm going to the hospital and I'm holding yeah. the hand of a dying person. And in fact, early on in my priesthood, much more of that would have been the case where hmm. visiting people, going into nursing homes to celebrate masses, um, um, one-on-one appointments with, with people, all that kind of... Um, Pope Francis has this great line. He talks about, you know, as shepherds are supposed to care for the sheep, and he, he there's the image of the shepherd carrying the sheep on on his shoulders, and and he says you got to get the smell of the sheep on you. Mm. Like in other words, like that's how close, that's how proximate you have to get with people, and and I think earlier that would have been a big part of uh, my ministry, and then. There was a season about three years I did campus ministry in Detroit, uh, which is a really cool season, and I, I got to see all kinds of really awesome fruit then. And that was like really small scale in that, you know, there were 20 to 40 people at any given time, you know, and, and so it was a lot of personal discipling and that kind of stuff. And now I find myself in a position in the last five years starting at St. Benedict as the associate pastor for, for two years and the last three and a half or so I've been the pastor and on, on the scale of church, I've never quite experienced before. Like, Hmm. like I say, 1500 on a given weekend. Uh, and, and so there's, I'm actually a step removed from Hmm. most of that day to day caring for. And there's a part of me, if, if I'm going to be really honest right now, there's a part of me that's like, I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause, cause some of it can be really hard. Like you're, mm-hmm. there's some situations where, um, there's some just difficult people, challenging people, and they can really spend, you could spend a lot of time, a lot of energy ministering to one or two people. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's like, is this doing anything? Like we know, I, I guess we can believe in faith that, yeah, it's having some kind of impact. Um, and it certainly might be purifying us in, uh, personally. But uh, but in the last five years, there's been this shift where I, I literally showed up at St. Benedict with almost zero leadership experience, hmm. knowledge. I feel in my own life, there's been this recent affirmative action for hmm. leadership development. Okay, yeah. where I've really tried to lean into, okay, I'm going to spend my time with the three or the 12 that are going to have a huge tenfold return on, they'll represent me. I'm going to spend my time with leaders of leaders who hmm. are going to lead teams of people yeah. who can go out and do the ministry. And very little of my time is going to be in that one-on-one kind of stuff. Uh, and and I think that's appropriate given the the scale of the yeah. church that I've come into. And if if listeners of yours haven't come across Tim Keller's, one of the articles I read when I first came on uh, leadership and church size dynamics, I just mm. find that that article blew my mind trying to understand a different size of church and the different kinds of leadership that are appropriate for it. Um, and some of the expectations that, that people in the congregation might have uh, based on the yeah. church that they're familiar with versus maybe where they find themselves. And so uh, as as a Catholic priest, we, we talk about three main areas 
uh, and it's to to teach, to sanctify, and to govern, hmm. or or priest, priest, prophet, and king. So the priest is the sanctify, the prophet is the teach, and the the king, the kingly role, the the governance. And so, I think what I'm saying is, in much of my priesthood prior to coming to Halifax, it was focused on more the the sanctifying and and maybe the teaching, the preaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but coming here, it's like, oh man, I know nothing about leadership, and so I have to mm. grow in this one area. But let me never forget that a part wow. of my ministry as a as a pastor is to also sanctify, and mm. that I mean myself personally to grow in holiness. But, but to spend time praying for, with people, ministering in these kind of sacred moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and of course, the ministry of the Word is a huge part of that. And, and I, I both love and hate to preach. It's, it's one of my passions. But it, it is bittersweet, isn't so it? so much it's work. Like, I, like, I like to have preached, like when it's done. I'm like, that was amazing. But everything leading up to it. Some people are the opposite. They love all of the like lead up. I'm like... Oh, yeah. Lead up is so hard for me, and then I like that, like the ministry of it in the moment. Yeah, and then and then uh, yeah, it's it's Come a on. real battle. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the table for a second, just ask you a question. So sure, because you're a preacher, like you're obvious, you're an awesome communicator, Jason. But I just presume that you stand up on a stage and you open your mouth, and it's just pearls that come out, like. <laughs> Oh like, man, no. You know what the thing is? For like me? you actually have to real... work at it is what you're saying. I'm having a crisis. I'm having a crisis. So I I preach for a long time um in like an itinerant format which was I could you know build on ideas. I was never like a manuscript guy, so I never manuscript, but you know I did a lot of study. Like so I'd study deeply. I'd be in texts that I know the theological context for. And I'd have like a repertoire of stories and application and I was processing it from my life. But now that I'm pastoring a local church, I feel like it's really, I'm, I'm having like an appropriate crisis around preaching hmm. where I'm really rethinking what it is that it even accomplishes and does. And I'm not deconstructing in this like, but I'm really just trying to think through what does it mean to get up? And, and then I think also the format of online makes me think about it in different ways. So I'm like embracing a little crisis. What's interesting about our church, and I don't know, I'd love to know about how it works at your parish. We have a teaching team. And so there's five of us on the teaching team. And so the real gift is, and why I can afford to be going through a crisis in my preaching right now, is I'm only on a once in five week rotation. So as a lead pastor, I might communicate Sunday to Sunday through transitions or different other elements within the service. But I'm only up there once every four or five actually giving the... The sermon and you in your context you'd it'd be the homily right is that's what yeah we call it the homily but same yeah. same thing yeah. yeah yeah what about for you are you guys on a teaching team or how does it work in your we context? do have a, a team so in our context uh you have to be an ordained uh minister to be able to preach on sunday during mass so that does limit us because there's some really amazing lay people who have awesome mm. communicating gifts but they can't do it within the context of mass uh uh, you know, both men and, and women, I would say, who I've I've heard, and so they'll give talks or testimonies like at Alpha or something like that, and and praise God that they can exercise their gifts in those. So you guys are mobilizing people in those gifts outside of Mass Correct. to serve the congregation, but within Mass, it's a bit more yeah. Sort of so you have to be and, either yeah. a deacon or a priest or a bishop to to preach yep. the homily during Mass, and and so, anyways, uh, we've really grown into this. It started when I was working with Father James, and and it's gotten better and better. Right now, uh, 
and I hope that your listeners and viewers will will get to learn of my associate, Father Alex Kalati, because I think he's he's so awesome. He's such a gifted communicator, and uh, he's he's only been ordained like two years, but he's already way better than me in mm. just about every way. Uh, he's <laughs> I, amazing. I look man. up to I love him. that. I I love him. I I just love working with him and. He inspires me. So we t- we're two priests, and then we do have a deacon. So the three of us form a team, and this intern we have with us right now, Isaac, he he joins in as well. So we're kind of a team of four that have formed a a preaching team, and so three of us can actually get up on Sunday and preach. And it works out that uh, Father Alex and I kind of trade off every you know yep. every other week, pretty much, and then maybe every. Five or six weeks, will the deacon will 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 preach. So um, that's mm. kind of how it works. But the four of us get together multiple times every week to brainstorm ideas. We come up with like wow. a preaching series arc. We, um, we we yeah we we kind of try to really help one another focus the message, and we rehearse together and give each other feedback. And it's it's something I've really grown into. At first, at first I hated feedback. I was just like, how dare you? Like, do you yeah. even know Come who on. I am? Like, I'm a, I'm a published author and preacher and pastor, and you, sorry, you know. Anyways, I, but, but it's been the biggest gift because mm. I don't see and I don't hear what everybody else sees and hears, and so for somebody else to say, hey, like this one wow. section, it just doesn't fit, or, um, it's or is your main point this or is it this? Yeah. Like, actually, I'm preparing to preach this coming weekend and we just did a little rehearsal yesterday and the guys gave me some great feedback. And I had like these two acronyms going and uh, both I thought were like super witty and great. And they're like, well, which <laughs> one do you want people to remember? And I was like, right. oh, shoot. And and we went back and forth about which was the more important one. And, and in the end... Um, uh, we, we, we settled on one and I was like, man, I got, I can, I can pr- present these other concepts, but I shouldn't present it like as a memory tool acronym because yep. I just want people to, I want one thing to be sticky. And so mm. I love that. I think it's cause we get so precious in the preparation with our ideas. So like you're reading a commentary and there's like a cool thing. You're like, this is amazing, but it's not your main point, but you, you can't let go of it. So it ends up in the manuscript or it ends up in the prep or you have, you have a second acronym and to have that like other voice that can hear objectively Mm. and ask you, like, I think we just need it. And it's, I think it's a value even outside of just preaching for me in leadership as a pastor. And then as just a follower of Jesus, just a disciple, I think we're really dependent on other people looking in and giving feedback. And I know that for you, you're part of uh, a religious order mm-hmm. and um, part of your, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what your rule of life because you've, um, I don't know if, if the word submit is the right one, but you've submitted yourself to an environment of high accountability for the sake of your discipleship. So take me into that, that rule of life that you're part of and the brothers that you um, are connected with and what that looks like for you. Sure. Yeah. So there's basically two different kinds of Catholic priests and by the way, like I'm not, I wasn't, I didn't come on here today to give all this like Catholic content, you know. No, I, I love it, dude. You know, so, anyways, it's I, a real education. Don't apologize. I love it awesome. because it's it's helpful for me. I think it's helpful for a lot of our listeners. Cool. I wish I could say that half our listeners were Catholic and half of them were Protestant. You know, but what? it's not I've the case. And so, a lot so of us much. are learning. 
I've learned so much from you and and other brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so it's awesome. I hope give I, us the education, man. Take us through it. There's two basic kinds of Catholic priests. One is uh, a diocesan priest, so they're connected to a geographical territory, a diocese, like the diocese of Vancouver. Uh, and then there's another priest, like a religious priest. And so this priest is connected usually to some kind of religious community. So I'm the latter. So my religious community is called the Companions of the Cross. For the people watching, this is the, the symbol of my community. It's a, it's a guy embracing the cross. And hmm. so um, that's our motto, we embrace the cross. And wow. so it's a community that was founded in 1985. And uh, our founder, Father Bob Bedard, uh, he was kind of a boss. Like I, I think I feel very privileged to have known him. He died in 2011. Um, I, I really believe that he, he is a saint and, 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 and is with God. And in, in many ways, I liken him to the role that um, Sandy Miller played for the Anglican Church in the renewal yeah. in, in the UK. I really think Father Bob was that kind of father figure for the Catholic renewal in Canada in the, in the wow. 80s, 90s. Kind of thing, and so just a really significant player. He was on the preaching circuit and stuff, and so he founded our community in 1985. And uh, I've just really cool history with the companions because I was my parents. Uh, they also uh, they're just amazing. They uh, heard about this guy, Father Bob. They were living in a different part of Ontario, and eventually my family settled in Ottawa. But my parents they. They're just like, as they were dating, uh, they were lit up by the Holy Spirit in a powerful way and mm. experienced like deeper conversion uh, in their own faith. And so that, they really brought that into their marriage and into our family. And so they, we landed in Ottawa. Uh, I was just a couple months old. And over time, they heard about this guy, Father Bob. And so uh, they, they were like, oh man, he's at the neighboring parish. And some stuff happened at their own parish and they, they decided, you know what, we're going to go check out this place called St. Mary's. And St. Mary's mm. in the 80s was kind of like this nationally known uh, parish hub of renewal that in many ways, mm. like St. Mary's of the 80s was the St. Benedict Church of 2020 that, yeah. that I'm at right now. And like, I remember as a kid walking in and there was, so my family... This is a bit of a, a sidebar, but my family showed up in 87. So the Companions were formed in 85. Father Bob had started pastoring in 84 at St. Mary's, 85. 87, my family shows up. I'm like six years old. But I remember this sense of like, this place is electric. Like you walk in, wow. everybody's friendly. The worship was, was, there was contemporary worship, which was a really big deal then uh, in the in yeah. a Catholic context. And everybody's engaged the preaching was was so powerful and uh and just the sense of community people would hang out an hour hour and a half after church and just have coffee and fellowship and nobody wanted to leave and and so that was like normal church for me growing up wow and and so i never intended on becoming a priest but when i felt called uh after like during my first year of university um, it was, I really, I didn't think long and hard, should I become a diocesan priest, uh, connected to Ottawa or, or some other religious order? Like there's, there's 
hundreds of them, like the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Jesuits, you know. Uh, but I was just like, my heart is with the Companions of the Cross, this young ragtag mm. group of guys. Like to this day, that we're about 40 priests. So we're not like this huge, significant, there's about 400,000 Catholic priests in the world today. So we're, we're not like even a drop in the bucket. But, um, but I just felt drawn to two things. Mm. The, the spirituality and that, that real emphasis on the Holy Spirit and also the brotherhood, the sense of community. Mm. And I really, I'd always been afraid of a call to the priesthood, particularly because with it in our Catholic context is, is the call to celibacy, which I was like, man, I want to get married and have a family and all that kind of stuff. And, and that fear of loneliness, right? And mm. so, and, and just, you know, even then, like hearing stories of priests, like, having that predisposition towards um, all the dangers that can, all, all, when there's issues already and that they can be um, accentuated when, when there's loneliness and when there's perhaps yeah. a lack of accountability, a lack of support. And, and uh, I mean, we all, we all yearn for intimacy at the end of the day. Yeah. And so I found the companions so attractive because it's like, here are these guys they're young, they're fun, they're human, they play sports, they're, um, they're just kind of normal, and they, they live together. Like, that's a really intentional part of our life. And so, for me, what does that mean today? Uh, and, it, and so, just I'll give you one line from Father Bob. He would say, the quality of our ministry will flow directly from the quality of our life together as brothers. Hmm. The quality of our ministry, so how effective we are out there... <laughs> is going to flow from how healthy our relationships are in here. And so if we're, mm. so a typical companion's house will be four priests living together at least. Right now we're four priests in this one seminary, so we're five here in Halifax. And we're in this like tiny split level house, but it's all good. Uh, it, you know, we make it work. And we'll, we'll have like a set rhythm where uh, every day, um, well, actually, I'll say this every morning. I think that we just kind of, it's almost like an unspoken rule. We just give each other the space um, to have quiet guys wake cool. up at slightly different times, but just kind of like this, this time for personal prayer. And so we do have a room set aside as a chapel and, and, you know, I'll, I'll grab my coffee. That's the first thing I'll do. And, uh, and I'm always inspired because inevitably one of my other brothers, he's in the chapel first way before me, He's, you know, kneeling, got his face to the ground, praying, whatever, like just, uh, he's got his Bible out, connecting with the word. Um, and, and that just totally inspires me on those days when I'm like, I don't wow. want to get up. It's like, oh yeah. Um, but I see that witness, that example. And I'm like, Lord, help me to increase my own desire for you as much as brother, my, my brother priest here. So, so that's just kind of a, a typical morning and then we'll head off to our, the, the, the five of us are responsible for two different parishes. And so we hmm. kind of head off in two different directions. And uh, four days a week, we'll get together late afternoon, early evening for an extended time of prayer and then uh, a meal together. Like, so today we came home and it's always a bit of a rush, right? Trying to get away from the office and ministry and all that kind of stuff. And I'm inevitably late for everything, but uh, so like say say about <laughs> almost like a two two hour chunk. So four thirty, we'll get together and we do this thing 
uh, called the Liturgy of the Hours. So it's these, like back in the day, the monks would pray the Psalms. Uh, every day they'd be reciting the 150 Psalms and then over time that's been spread out and, and all priests and, and religious and, and even some lay people uh, will do this, pray along with this thing called the Liturgy of the Hours. And so we cycle through the Psalms and a few readings from scripture and but we do what we do uh, because we have this kind of really big emphasis on worship is instead of like singing like one of the rote hymns that's in the book, we'll take some time and spend twenty or thirty minutes in worship. And so somebody will grab mm. a guitar. Like I think that's a prerequisite. Like pretty much everybody plays guitar in the community. That's just like whatever. <laughs> so somebody will grab a guitar and we'll do like three songs and just even have spontaneous praise throughout and and listen to the Holy Spirit, listen if there's a, any kind of a word, a sense. Uh, and then we'll go into the Liturgy of the Hours, the more formal uh, prayers that, that we're required to pray. Um, and, then, and then we'll have dinner together. And, and it's, been, mm. it's been, and we'll usually try to have like a minimum of, you know, 45 minutes sitting at the table, just having t- table fellowship. How's your day? You know, what's, and you can tell some guys, it's like, man, it was, it was brutal. Like I had a run in with mm-hmm. a really negative parishioner and, and it's like, okay, yeah, we can unpack that right now. And, but it's just, it's been fun. Like, it's been great to spend oh, that time even serving each other in that way. And, and really enjoy, yeah. like, I enjoy the food even that much more. And, um, yeah. And one other, I know I've been on I, off and I long. Appreciate one it. Other so tell me, no, tell real, me, I love it. Keep talking. Quick about the companions, we were really birthed out of, um, out of crisis. In fact, in the hmm. mid eighties, there was a lot of craziness and, you know, some of the, you know, if you've read headlines about Catholic priests, like, um, you know, that kind of stuff is, has been going on for, for some decades now, very sadly, I, I don't in any way want to diminish the severity of that. And so there was some, so Father Bob Bedard, he he had been teaching high school for like 20 years before he got into a parish in 1984. Hmm. And so all these guys who had been through high school with him, and they'd form prayer prayer groups, prayer meetings right in the high school as, as high school students, they were the ones leading worship and praying over each other and stuff. It was super hmm. cool. Well, some of them felt called to become priests. And they went to seminary, and they experienced some really crazy stuff in seminary. And they were like, what do we do? Like, this doesn't sound like uh, the kind of thing that Jesus would endorse, the kinds of things that we're being taught, the kinds of things that we're witnessing. And so they turned to Father Bob, who's like a little bit older and more mature figure. And and he really took them under their wing at that time. Mm. And, and they started to meet regularly uh, for... They, they eventually, they just called it a share group and they would, they would get together in smaller groups so three or four guys and just share really intimately. Hey, here's what's going on in my life. Here's, here's where I'm struggling. Here's what my prayer's like. Here's, here's some, some kind of, uh, sin that I'm battling right now or whatever. And, and that time of sharing, and then they take turns praying over each other, um, hmm. ministering to each other. And so that's something that we continue to do to this day. Like the four priests in my house, every two weeks, we'll book off an evening and take like two hours and and just go around the circle and wow. and have a time of sharing and praying over each other. And 
and that's been a real lifeline for me. The whole thing, the whole thing. I, I tell you this, Jason, if I didn't belong to the Companions of the Cross, if I did not have this kind of support for ministry, I wouldn't be a priest today. Hmm. And, I, and I don't say that in some kind of hyperbolic way. Like, I really yeah. mean it. It's, this has saved my bacon, having, having a network of brothers, brothers at arms, you know, a band of brothers to, yeah. uh, like, the ministry. And I think, I hope that the people listening to this, you realize, like, I know that what you're up against right now in the world today, and, and add COVID on top of that, it is such a challenging hmm. uh, call to be on mission today in Canada. Um, and so we need the support of one another. And whatever that yeah. looks like in your own context, I don't know, but you need that kind of brotherhood or sisterhood to, to support you. Hmm. I so appreciate you sharing all of that. Um, a window into your life. Thanks for the humility to share it. And I just, I don't know what it needs to look like for each person, but every one of us needs brothers or sisters who know us and are in our lives. Um, know the real us and that we can be honest and transparent with. And there's something special. Sometimes that's people who are in ministry. Sometimes it's people outside of ministry. But it is special when you've got other pastors, other uh, religious leaders, you know, who are cheering you on and there's kind of a camaraderie like you and I can sit across the table and talk about the challenges of working with the parishioners or <laughs> the stress of trying to be on the front line but also the three things you talked about how do you hold all three of those intention yes and you can have a good laugh and a good laugh and share real empathy with each other and it's such a gift and I think it's it's one of the things that we've got to figure out as the church if we're going to make it in the future is how do we do friendship differently and better Man, there's so many things I wanted to chat with you about. Um, I don't, I don't think we have time, man. Like I think that, but I think that we landed on the right things. I'm just trying to think about the perfect way to end, and maybe, maybe where we should end is, um, um, just a question. When you look out ahead, and we've still got months here, at least, where we're living under restrictions. And then even after the vaccine and after some restrictions are lifted, we've got a long tail where we discover the real effects of, of COVID-19 emotionally, spiritually. And on top of that, before the pandemic, there was a crisis around churches. We talked a bit about mergers and these different things. Mm -hmm. um, what are you dreaming and believing for the future? Like when you squint your eyes and you look out on the horizon one year, two years, five years ahead, what's in your heart? You know, what, what are you dreaming about and hoping for and contending for? Hmm. Well, I guess like world peace and people holding hands and singing Kumbaya together, that would be, uh, that would be awesome. Is that the only, that's the right answer, right? <laughs> no, I honestly, I hate this question, Jason, because I'm like, I'm not a visionary. I'm actually like, can I go public and just say that? Like, I'm not a visionary. I'm not a visionary leader. Hmm. Um, it doesn't mean I don't have any vision, but it just takes me a lot more work and prayer. And so it doesn't come automatically for me. But I'll say this. Um, I really think that this is a watershed moment for us. And hmm. we didn't talk about, there's a whole other conversation for another time about cultural Christianity, which was, yeah. I think, uh, 
That was kind of going to be our main theme. That was going to be our main theme. We didn't talk about that at all, but it's a thing. So if you're listening, just be aware cultural Christianity Christianity is a thing and it exists in the Catholic Church, but apparently in other churches too. So uh, that is probably no more. Like in, in many ways, uh, hmm. I think we'll... Somebody's, Can you define the term? Sure. Can you define what you mean? We, we chatted about this before, yep. but what do you mean by culture Christianity? I, I'm not in a rush, man. We can take a few minutes. Like, cool. Define the term culture Christianity and then, and then unpack what, what, what you feel like is... Because I love what you're saying. It's a watershed moment. I couldn't agree. So define the term and then finish what you're saying there. Sure. Yeah. So cultural Christianity to me is all of the people who are associated with a Christian church in some way, but really, if they were to show up on a Sunday, they're they're kind of like a church zombie. That's the best way I could describe mm. them. They're there, their body is there, but their mind and heart is not there. And and I'm not blaming them necessarily, mm. but they don't know what they don't know. And uh, maybe it's this is something they always did as with their family as a tradition. Maybe they feel a sense of obligation. Maybe there's a fear. Uh, People talk about fire insurance. You know, this is my one way to ensure I don't burn in hell for all of eternity if by putting in an hour of time on Sunday morning at, at church. Um, whatever the motivation, but it's not motivated by, like, I want to be a friend of Jesus. And hmm. what do I have to do to get to know him better? And realizing that a disciple is somebody who worships God. And part of that means hmm. worshiping God on Sunday with a community it's not just a solo event. And so so I think really early on in the pandemic, somebody far wiser than me said, what we're going to see really quickly is that uh, on the one hand, you've got your super committed, faithful Christians who it doesn't matter what happens, what crisis, what pa- global pandemic, they will be rock solid. They're going to find a way to keep worshiping God. And on the other hand, we're because mm-hmm. in and in our context, we moved online in a major way forward during this time that that we were just never forced to before, and it's it's awesome. I'm so grateful that we did. Uh, and there's we're reaching new people online who we would have never reached before. We're, we're running multiple online alphas. We've got uh, hmm. these small communities. We call them life groups uh, that are all over Zoom, basically, and so. There's hundreds of people that we're reaching that we would have never reached before in this season. But there's this kind of group in the middle that uh, may or may not have known why they were there or been fully committed. And Mm. I think we're going to see a lot of them drift. I believe that we're going to see some of the, the institutions and structures that have existed in the past uh, start to fade away. Things that mm. enabled all, I, we talked at the beginning about all these buildings, all these mergers, all these, you know, a lot of the buildings, like who's going to pay for them? Who's going to maintain them? Like who are they going to be there for? Um, mm. We're going to have to uh, strategically look at letting go of some of that stuff uh, that's been, that, that's been good, really good. Again, part of our heritage, but it's it's actually an obstacle to us moving forward uh, because mm. I think ultimately there's there's going to have to be a much more purified emphasis on mission that mm. the Christians, the followers of Jesus in the future, 
will necessarily be missional as well. And Pope Francis uses that term missionary disciple, which I love. It's it's mm. it's, it's just kind of it's saying like I you love can't that. be a disciple unless you're also a missionary. Like there's no such thing as a private disciple. You have to live your life for Jesus in such a way that that others witness that and they're drawn to that, they're attracted to that, and mm. you find yourself in faith conversations and praying with people and witnessing and inviting and and loving up on people who are not necessarily part of the inner circle yet, uh, but but you love them enough to go after them. And and I think that's what that's my dream for the future is that uh, our churches will be filled with missionary disciples mm. who are outward focused on, on the lost. I love it, man. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thanks for your time. And uh, we look forward to chatting more. We'll have to jump back on again, hit the other points. And uh, you're such a gift, man. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Jason. It's been a blast. Thank you, Father Simon, for making the time to share with us today. In the interview, Father Simon talked about an article by Tim Keller that he recently read called Leadership and Church Size Dynamics. This article talks about how the function of a church, its strengths and weaknesses, and the roles of its leaders will change dramatically as its size changes. Father Simon kindly offered to share his personal highlighted version of this article, which we have up on the blog for this episode for you to check out. Just head to ccln.ca slash blog and you'll find his episode and this article there. And while you're on our website, sign up for our mailing list if you haven't already. We just released our first installment of our monthly newsletter containing helpful updates and resources. And if you sign up in the next couple weeks, we'll make sure you get that right to your inbox right away. Now for next week's episode, we are going to be sharing a conversation with a leader who has deeply impacted me personally. I am so excited. Anne Miranda is going to be on the podcast. Anne is currently the pastor of Women's Ministries at Village Church, and she is part of the CCLN pastoral advisory team. She is an incredible mobilizer, empowerer, and pastor of people. I love her. And I personally cannot wait to hear this conversation and for it to be shared on this thread. Well, if you enjoyed this conversation or found it helpful, please share it with another church leader who you think would love it too. And we hope to see you next week for Jason's conversation with the lovely Anne Miranda. Bye for now.